I'm Stuart Sheldon. My name's Ron Rothberg. 30 years ago, I was on Wall Street. I was the youngest vice president at my fancy company, but that's not what I wanted to do. After spending nearly 25 years in media, I knew things were changing, both in the industry and inside me. Swan Dive shares the powerful stories of those who had the clarity and backbone to make a major life pivot to their vision. I took a Swan Dive. I have been an artist ever since, and it's the best choice I ever made. Getting closer to who you really are. That's Swan Dive. Sierra Britton fell in love with the arts when she was very young. As a little black girl, she noticed something was missing from the galleries. Her. I want her to feel like she's a part of the story. I don't want her to feel like she's reading the story about other people. I want her to feel like she sees herself in it so that she feels important, that she feels that she is a fabric of the big picture. She's not an afterthought or just someone spectating what's going on outside. I want her to feel like she's inside. The still young Sierra Britton is making history by opening up New York's first gallery to support and showcase the work of women artists of color. Dive with us right now on an all-new episode of Swan Dive. From the Peacock and Park Studios, back in Jacksonville, Florida, for a very short time until I get back on the road to life, this is another edition of Swan Dive. I'm Ron Rothberg, and in Costa Rica, at the Fancy Nasty Studios, it is time to say hello to my dear friend, Stuart Sheldon. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. What's happening, my brother? It's so lovely to see your face. Yeah. Hear your voice. Yeah, we're, um, we're packing it up, Stu. Back in the woods. I we're know. Going back to Montana tomorrow. I'm excited to get back on the road of life. So uh, it's just a good time. Yeah. For those of you out there new to this this podcast, Ron is now on a one-year um, walkabout in an RV with his beautiful wife, and just sort of strolling through various parts of the country. His refrigerator blew up a month ago, so he had yeah. to uh, fly home and get it fixed. So yeah. it's all part of fun. It's all fun and games. You know, I've been but, reflecting on the world according to Garp, you know. It, it, it kind of gives me that uh, solace to know uh, in that part of the book where uh, a plane ran into the side of a house and Garp says, I'll take it because that'll never happen again. That's exactly what I feel like when we're going back Everything bad that's happened has happened. Everything beautiful is about to happen. There you go. And that's a perfect segue. Everything beautiful is about to happen is another way of describing um, youth. And I've been vibing on youth a lot lately. Um, My kids are now 11 and 13. So I get to kind of watch that landscape unfold uh, a very dear friend is staying with us here in Costa Rica at this moment who's got a f- daughter who just started high school in Marin County. Uh, and so she's in this whole new landscape. And there's a certain fearlessness and power in youth today that I don't really fully recognize. And it's, you know, just because the world has turned so many times, that energy and that fearlessness underlies our guest today in her journey and her swan dive. And I'm excited to get inside of it. Our guest today is Sierra Britton. She was born in 1996 in Baltimore. She's an independent curator and an art consultant living and working in New York City. As the director of the Sierra Britton Gallery, her mission is to support and showcase the work of women artists of color. She saw a need and she's filling it. She's doing it. Um, without knowing where it's going to go. And that's what fearlessness looks like. And it's such a delight to watch that kind of energy manifest. Sierra Britton, welcome to Swan Dive. 
Thank you so much, you guys. I'm so excited to be in this space and honored that you all are supporting the work that I'm doing. It really means a lot. So thank you. Very well, happy. thank you. It's a lovely, it's lovely to have you here. And uh, you're a young woman, you're 25 years old, and you're quote on a mission to diversify the gallery community, unquote. Uh, is this something, this mission, something that you discovered recently, or is this something that's been building all of your life? Oh, this has definitely been building all of my life and has just become more clear and has made more sense as I have continued my practice over the years. I developed a real interest in the arts at a very young age. I mean, a lot of kids can probably relate to art being your favorite class in elementary school, um, just getting creative. And then as I grew, I knew I didn't want to be an artist, but I wanted to work with artists. I wanted to be involved in the storytelling of how art is communicating our history, our present and our future. So what was missing in that equation and and what drove you into your own space now? Yeah, um, definitely representation was the missing factor from what I had been seeing and consuming my entire life. So when we think about art, you know, sometimes it's what's up on the wall, what's at the museum, what's at the gallery, but also we need to be thinking about how we are constantly consuming visual culture. I mean, even from a child, you're watching cartoons, that's art. You're um, driving down the street, there's a billboard, that's art. So how are we being in dialogue with the visual culture of our today, whatever that means? And for a while, there was either a huge lack of representation for Blackness and people of color in the art world, or there was misrepresentation, which is, you know... Every time you turn on the news, the local news, there might be bad news or, you know, some kind of negative connotation when it relates to the Black community or communities of color. That's what I like to call misrepresentation, where that's the only representation that's out there that creates a notion to the viewer that this is all that exists in this context, which, of course, translates into profiling, racism, um, all types of things that I think could really be worked with as long as there are proper representation in the mix. People that are telling their own stories rather than having their stories told for them by others who are not from that experience. Um, And, you know, for me, that started just by going to museums as a young girl, seeing the only Black representation in painting as a servant or a slave. And then as a young person, and you are taking that in as in, okay, this is the only way my people existed. Like, this is the only thing that we were doing at this point in time, which of course is not true. Um, Our history has definitely been manipulated. um, And this was one of those ways that I was seeing that and consuming that. So I really took um, an interest in studying art and looking back to see what black artists were talking about, um, back in their time. So, yeah. In, uh, you know, on your, on your business card, if you have a business card, uh, it says gallery, you know, gallerist, Mm -hmm. but in, in essence, you're, you're a storyteller. You want to tell stories that are true yeah, and and you want to tell them creatively, beautifully, powerfully. Let's back up a step and just tell us, first of all, what was your swan dive? What is your swan dive? 
Um, I love this question. It was so fun to think about because I think I've had a few over the last couple of years, but I think my number one swan dive would be when I left my day job at the end of 2019. I was working. So I graduated from college in 2018. Um, I had started working a job that I will leave nameless, <laughs> but I... It was a day job that had nothing to do with the arts. It was a private members club where I was working as the front desk receptionist. I was really young. And for a long time, um, I was told that you're not really going to be able to make it in the art world until you're in your mid thirties, after you've gotten your master's, after you've gotten museum experience, blah, blah, blah. And I had really kind of been fear-based around that because I knew I wanted to do this thing, but I also knew how young I was and I didn't know if I was going to be able to make it work um, realistically. So I'm feeling, okay, since it's going to take me so long to actually fulfill my dreams, since, you know, people have told me all of these regulations that I'll need, all of these um, different accomplishments that I would need before I'm able to jump into the gallery world. Let me be here. Let me try to flourish in this space. Um, I had worked there for a little over two years in the events department after I had transitioned out of the receptionist job. And I applied to be the events logistics coordinator, which is pretty much their events manager. To me, I had just got out of school. It was like, okay, this has nothing to do with art, but this is amazing money. This is amazing opportunity. I'll be able to, you know, collaborate with different communities all these things that I thought was going to be my next chapter for the next however many years. I was ready to really take on this responsibility. And I applied for this management position. They came back, this company, and they said that they don't know if I would be able to be my full authentic self in such a corporate space. Hmm. I had never been told this, like no one has ever, ever talked about my personality or authentic self, but I had to sit with that for a while. What do you think that was code for? I was too black for the position. Mm. Uh -huh. And at first it was like, okay, I don't feel right about this. Like this doesn't feel valid, but this also feels anti-black. I quit with nothing lined up on that day. Yeah. I, <laughs> Thank you so much. Bravo. So taking a step like that into the unknown is not really my style. I'm a Virgo and I am very calculated, um, especially in New York, like just taking away, this is, this is a daytime job. You can expect a check in the mail on the days that it's supposed to come. You can expect to make as much as you work, you know, via however many hours. So that expectation of knowing what's coming was very comfortable for me. I had to realize comfort is really not going to get me where I'm trying to go. I have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Wow. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, that's the crux of it right now. I mean, for people that, that have to get to the other side, Stu talked about at the beginning the the joys of youth, and then you briefly touched on youth being weaponized against you. And there's, yeah. there's a couple of things that seem like they were in your way, your mm-hmm. youth and your color. Mm-hmm. How, how'd you reconcile that and get past that? 
Honestly, just a change of mindset and amplifying my faith. So I am not someone who carries white privilege or gender privilege at all, especially moving in this industry. It is very competitive, but it's also very white elitist. I mean, people sometimes are too intimidated to even walk into a high-end gallery because they don't know if they're going to even be greeted at the door. They, They might be made to feel like they're not smart enough to be there. They don't have enough money to be there. You hear it all the time in the art world. People are like, oh, sometimes I'm scared to, you know, go to Chelsea and go to the galleries. So for me, I'm like, I can't change this industry as a total. All I can do is my part. And even if that means changing my mindset for what I am believing in as far as my opportunities and myself... I had to change my mindset to say, oh, you know, I went from, okay, Sierra, you're going to have to just get by for the next couple of years until you reach your 30s and maybe you get your master's and maybe you get some um, institutional experience or we can just say, let's just do it now. Mm. And honestly, I'm very thankful for getting to that place because there was a time where I was very fear-based and I'm moving out of that through healing, spirituality, meditation, and really just leaning in on my community. I'm not the only person with this story and it makes me feel better to know that I have a community who supports me and can relate to me. There are a lot of people of color in the art world that are really becoming pioneers of what this new normal will look like um, in the creative world and just as a society. So I really, I really had to flip a switch in my head to get to this place. And now I'm just here. (laughs) Yeah. And I want you to know that when you say I have a community, you have several communities. One of them is the Swan Dive community, because what you've just described is at its essence, the Swan Dive. The Swan Dive is when you just jump off of that cliff and you're in midair and you're like, okay, I hope I don't just fucking hit the rocks. I hope I don't. I mean, I just, you just don't know, but there's a certain level of confidence. There's a certain level of faith, as you said. Um, and there's a certain level of exhilaration in, in that just free fall. And yeah. what we've learned over the course of doing this and from our own personal swan dives is that once you take that leap, as we like to say, gravity takes over and you're just going somewhere. Yeah. Um, but more likely, since you've already set an intention and you've set a target, the world starts to really admire and respect that and will start to help you facilitate that. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I have gotten nothing but that. And for years, people in my life have been like, girl, start your gallery. I can screenshot. I don't know. I don't even know how many texts. Hey, Sierra, when you open the gallery, oh, this is my friend Sierra. She's she's opening a gallery soon. Like even before I had put it out in the world that I wanted to do this. So the support has been overwhelming. I am actually currently fundraising to open the space this fall winter. Um, and so far we have reached 14.9 thousand. Um, we're trying to raise $60,000 by the end of the fall. So already having this much support from people who are familiar and people who are new is definitely a huge blessing. 
you know, I've even DM'd some people who don't follow me on social media, but they'll see the message and respond because of how compelling the gallery is. So I, um, and I failed to mention this, so I will be opening a gallery, the Sierra Britton Gallery, which will be New York City's first art gallery dedicated to women of color artists. Um, this will be the manifestation of all of the work that I've been really moving forward with in the past couple of years um, with relationships with some of the artists that I support um, and just really putting emphasis on artists being able to tell their own stories and bringing that representation to the forefront in a major city like New York. So good. Support. Yeah. Thank you. You know, <laughs> you, you said that with just such clarity and such uh, d- determination. Uh, mm-hmm. And I always, I started this new thing and, and, and moved and, wiggled in a couple of different directions. And I always found that I, I doubted myself. If I DM someone and they didn't immediately respond, I'm a nuisance or mm-hmm. I'm outside their orbit and I'm not worthy of their time. Did those mm-hmm. types of self-doubts creep into you as you've been on this journey? They, uh, uh, they often do, unfortunately. And I think it's just a part of being human. Um, my best friend, I was just talking to her about this earlier today, and she was saying imposter syndrome is real. Everybody has that. It's really just anxiety and fear in your head. Like, oh, don't, it's not even worth it. Or don't even try. That person doesn't have enough time for you. But sometimes you have to bring yourself back and ground yourself and say, you know, people that are more established than me and have more money than me, they're still people. They're still people from real cities and real communities. Like, yes, they've reached certain positions, but I'm a person, they're a person. We might have some similarities somewhere. Maybe we're the same Zodiac sign. Maybe we're Mm -hmm. from the same city. Maybe we have some mutuals. You never know. Like I've had people reach out to me um, first that I thought I would never be able to talk to. People just like just ready to support. Like I've had people bring ideas of how to support my gallery that I didn't even think of, you know, mm-hmm. just, just really grounding myself with the information that, you know, there are amazing people out there that are more than ready to help me and connect me and do whatever they can to support me. Things that I don't even ask for. So being grounded in that, in that, um, just knowing that that support is there from people that I know and people that I will know in the future is very, very nice to refer back to That's sometimes awesome. when I'm. Let's, so let's, let's, first of all, I just want to put a, put an exclamation point. This beautiful young woman is just crowdsourcing funding. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not asking for permission. She's not working her way up the food chain. I have a gallery. I need 60 grand. Please help me. And bam, she's at 15 grand and counting. So that's just the new, that's the new world. That's the new frontier. Um, nobody's asking anybody for anything uh, for permission. They're just asking for help. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, and asking for help is a, is a, is a thing that a lot, not that a lot of us are uncomfortable doing. So I applaud you there. Mm-hmm. I want to get right into the meat and the guts and the blood and, and, and the sweat of what is going to happen when I walk inside the Sierra Britain gallery, like yeah. some programming stuff, uh, but really more from the like, give me the real, give me the spirit of this. Yeah. What do you want to see happening in here? What types of media do you want to present? Yeah. Is it live? Is it three dimensional? Like, talk to me about what's going to go down in there. 
Absolutely. And I love this question because I'm very big on programming in a way that engages the community. So what differentiates Sierra Britton Gallery from a lot of the big name galleries that you'll hear in New York and also outside of New York, we are really putting an emphasis on community here. So you will of course, have access to exhibitions that are showcasing the work of women artists of color. We have painters, we have drawers, we have photographers. So right now the roster is small, but it's growing organically. Any curator or dealer will tell you a relationship with an artist is like a marriage. You can't just jump out with 15 of those marriages unless they're really, you know, substantial um, where you are invested in those artists' lives, their careers, supporting them in whatever way that might be. But also we were really big on engaging with the community. So panel discussions, let's have a conversation, whether that be a round table talk or us in the audience listening to the artists and what they want us to know about this series of work or this body of work. Um, and then things that are also engaging to another level is such as performance art. I think there's a beautiful thing happening in the art community where performance artists are really putting themselves out there in so many different mediums. But thinking about how can we have these performance pieces in the gallery and also out of the gallery? Maybe we'll do a field trip. Maybe we're going somewhere else, wherever the artist would like us to go. Um, and really having that dialogue in the space. Uh, the gallery will be pretty much an incubator of all things creative and all things storytelling, whether we're telling that story with each other or we're listening to that story live from the artists. I think having pretty much a portal, like when I used to watch the Twilight Zone a lot when I was young, and I love the idea of being transported somewhere else when you open the door. And that's what I want Sierra Britton Gallery yes. to be. That's want you to get go somewhere else when when you go in. You're no longer in New York, really. You're no longer wherever yeah. we will be. You're now in Sierra Britton Gallery. You're now in the experience of that. You talk about community a lot, and obviously, community is the foundation for everything. I, I want to ask about community specifically, the community around you, the person or people who helped you along the way. Who are they? And let's talk about maybe one of them that really crafted your 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 vision. And maybe one that might not know how much they meant to you. Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. Well, I have a huge community, as you probably have caught on to. Um, okay, well, if I'm going to shout out one entity, it will still be a group Art Noir. So you all have interviewed Danny. Um, Danny is a co-founder of Art Noir. Danny Baez. Yeah. Yes. Danny Baez. Him, along with six other individuals, have co-founded Art Noir. I found them in 2019. I've had many art influences. I've done a lot of, you know, internships, workshops, a lot of things. But Art Noir really let me know that I could have my own tribe in the art world where people really see me, not just as an employee or someone working with them, but genuinely a part of the family. I tell people all the time, my first work thing that I had to do, or my first responsibility that they had hired me for was to be an assistant in the kitchen for our Christmas party that we did at the end of 2019. 
So I, um, Isis Ayres is one of the co-founders of Art Noir. They sent me over to her house. She was cooking. I started cooking with her. And then everyone, it was probably a hundred people in her brownstone. We were all working on something. Danny had brought food. Everyone just, you know, it, it was about art, but it was really about family. Mm-hmm. And then our work together continued to look that way. They have used their resources to help me in so many ways. They have mentored me. They are all still my mentors. I'm still young and I'm still learning and I don't think I'll ever stop learning. So when I have the accessibility to call people like that who have already been in this industry for many years before me, have already been doing the work, they have been doing the work to, you know, cultivate relationships with artists and patrons in so many cities even globally, they've been doing this for so much longer than me. So the fact that they have welcomed me so authentically and so just like, it's just so full of warmth. I always know that I will be okay knowing that these people are in my corner. Even if I don't know what I'm doing, I can call at least one of them and get the answer. Yeah, well, yeah. You're the little sister that they all love. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you're going to fake it till you make it. I mean, that's just yeah. what we do, you know, especially yeah. when you jump off the cliff. You're just, you know, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. It Thank feels you. to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're driven much more by passion than you are by profit. Tell us a little bit about, about the balance between passion and profit in your, in your vision. Well, I love that you said that. And it's so true. And anytime people ask me to describe myself, I always use the word passion because I have passion every single day. <laughs> like nothing is surface level with me. Um, and <laughs> I think that if you're going to do something in the arts, it really has, you have to care. You just have to. I There's so many, you know, the art world, we will we will boycott, we will protest, we will use our voices to say when something is wrong, no matter what the scope is, it, whether that means calling out an institution like a museum or calling out, you know, something curated like um, Harlem on my mind was a very problematic exhibit at the Met in the 70s that pretty much was a photography exhibit that showed photos of the people from Harlem, but no one in the show across the board was from Harlem or had anything to do with the Harlem community. So it was very much just like spectating Black people. Um, And, you know, it got a lot of backlash as far as people protesting outside and asking them to take it down and demanding that, you know, the people of Harlem get some kind of cut because they were making a lot of money off of that. And that's an example of what happens when you put profit over passion. The arts is such a huge responsibility. This is not arts and crafts in the first grade, even though that's important in its own way too. It's a huge responsibility to be a curator. It's a huge responsibility to storytell. And if you don't care, it really becomes problematic, whether that turned into misrepresentation or, you know, something along those lines that's not serving the story told or the artist who's telling it. And for me, this affects my life. Like visual culture affects my life, your life, all of us. And that's why the responsibility is so huge. Mm. And I know and have thankfully been blessed to meet so many artists that are 
telling their stories in such a great way. And not even sometimes just them, but telling the stories of their culture, maybe their neighborhood, um, maybe their community in some sort of way, or you know, giving us a glimpse of what they think the future could look like if we're moving in a certain way. There's a lot of really amazing conceptual artists out there that are making our communal notions and thoughts presented visual. And I really care about how that is shown because this is important for the community to see. This is important for the world to see. Hopefully, you know, when you open a textbook as a kid, there's a lot of art references in there. Who's curating those artworks? And what what's the dialogue and the context around that? It's just so much bigger than just putting it on the wall. And I think I'm putting passion above profit because I see the responsibility um, of prioritizing this work, essentially, and yeah. really getting it to be understood as something more important than just aesthetic having it really be a part of our history and how we're moving forward. And that's interesting too, as you evolve, because profit is obviously a big part of it. And I think Stu, you said it really well, you know, profit and, 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 and passion, you say passion. <laughs> um, it's funny when we talk about people about Swan Dive, uh, what's the first thing people say to us Stu? Oh, how do you make money at that? Well, it's not about money. It's about telling <laughs> stories and it's, it's about connecting with, with Sierra Britton who is who is telling other people's stories and that's that's like the treasure of all treasures to get to that. So let's talk mm-hmm. about Sierra Britton. There's another Sierra Britton that's it's in elementary school now. What's the mm-hmm. story that you want to leave to that young Sierra Britton? Oh, I love that. I definitely want that young Sierra Britton to feel like a priority in the story. I want her to feel like she's a part of the story. I don't want her to feel like she's reading the story about other people. I want her to feel like she sees herself in it so that she feels important, that she feels that she is a fabric of the big picture. She's not an afterthought or just someone spectating what's going on outside. I want her to feel like she's inside. It really is about knowing that we can prioritize ourselves and knowing how important we are. I think every Black person can relate, uh, every Black American can relate that there was a point growing up where you just felt like you were looking outside, you were looking at the people outside of the window that were having fun and, you know, doing all of these things. But like, you have to feel like you can go out there and be a part of that as well. And there's been a lot of strategic anti-Blackness and racism across the board that make us feel like we are not allowed to go outside there and have that fun. We just need to be an afterthought. We need to be in the shadows. We need to be unseen and unprioritized. And that's that I need people to realize that's not an accident. Like, I mean, everything is so intentional and my generation now we are working overtime as far as doing the work to undo that moving forward so that the next generation or the generation after or after they really feel like okay not only am i a part of the story now i can make my own mm. okay and i want to i want to unpack that cuz you just hit on my next question you went to the new school um, in New York and you studied art history and visual studies. And we were talking briefly, uh, earlier and you, you really saw and came to understand the essence of curation as an undergraduate student. 
And a lot of the kids that you were going to school with in all various media were really starting to blow up like mm-hmm. in school, in mm-hmm. the heart of the whole scene. Tell us about what that's like to be 18, 19, 20, and you're getting your first cl- uh, like deep immersion. And simultaneously, your peers, your friends are just popping off like, you know, in real time. What, what's yeah. that feel like? And, 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 you know, help us all see what that what that looks like, too. Oh my goodness. It was magical. It really did feel like you were in a movie if you went to new school. <laughs> um, mm. Just with, well, first of all, new school is a very flashy school as far as alumni um, from different creative industries who have flourished. It definitely felt like a new world for me. So even though I'm from Baltimore, both of my parents are from uptown New York. My dad's from Harlem. My mom's from the Bronx. Uh I spent time coming back and forth to New York growing up just to see family. But I was never in the scene. I was just a kid. Right. So I definitely felt super inspired to step my game up because you cannot be surface level in a scene like that. You have to stand out in a very authentic way because if you if you're a poser people will see that if you're trying to copy other people's style you will see that you have to genuinely be a creative person of your own step of your own individuality that's really the beauty of new york individuality trumps all do not copy do not be lazy with it work towards your own craft and your own individuality and i was so inspired to even be in the presence of you know, certain professors that are practicing artists. Like my first job, I was a teacher's assistant for this class at new school called The Art of Viewing Art with John Zenzer, who is a fine artist himself. He is also my first mentor that I've ever had in New York. He is the reason that I found out about the Chelsea gallery scene and the LES gallery scene. He had been going to galleries with his father since he was growing up. And now he's been living in New York for I don't even know how long. And just having that class, it was a once a week class on Thursdays. All we did was go to galleries, come back and talk about it. So it's literally the art of viewing art. They'll be like, okay, we're going to go to four galleries in Chelsea this week, by next Thursday, come with notes. Let's compare, contrast, let's talk, let's pull up some of the works from those shows. Dialogue can really be another extension of the art experience. Like mm. you're seeing it, but now you're also talking about it. And now you're feeling your opinion. Like maybe the work really got to you in a way, whether that be good or bad, but it's still a feeling that you're experiencing that you can now talk about with the class. So it, it was just definitely stepping into a whole new world as far as exposure, because I really didn't know much about the art scene until I got to new school, because it's right in the heart of Union Square. It's right near all the galleries and all the people there have some sort of interest that they are sharing, especially the New Yorkers that have been here. Yeah. Well, you're not, it's not theoretical. I mean, you're going to be in the art world. You're in the art world. I mean, you are swimming in the soup, you know, of it all. Um, and that sounds so exciting. What a great class. I think Ron could even get an A in that class. I, I, I would try that. Yeah. Go to galleries and then talk about it back at the at the classroom and, you know, the look best. at pictures. You can do that. I could do it. Um, so um, I want to read something uh, off your website. Uh, a little a little couple sentences you wrote called Overcoming 2020. I launched my art advisory four months before the pandemic and lost almost all my revenue revenue shortly after. For the majority of 2020, I curated public and virtual exhibitions to support artists 
at one of the most difficult times we've ever seen. As these projects have gained success, more people have inquired about my services, which has helped me get my business back on its feet recently. So here you are, you, you, you know, the money just goes, dries, dries up, it disappears entirely. Yeah. But that doesn't stop you from leaning into, you know, the work that needs to be done, getting, mm-hmm. getting your curation chops uh, honed. Walk us through that, that journey emotionally and, and what you learned from it and, 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 how, and how maybe your business shutting after four months was a blessing. So, so when I quit that job I had mentioned earlier, I had launched my own art advisory, which was completely remote, completely virtual, me working. And this was a couple months before March 2020, right before the pandemic. I had been meeting new people. People had already known to relate me with some artists that they were supporting. So if they wanted a work from certain artists that were either in my network or in New York, they'd call me to see if I could make it happen. When March happened, I think I was maybe three or four months into my business, all of my clients, and I didn't have that many, but I did have a good amount for me starting up. Everyone was like, listen, I do not want to spend any money right now because I don't know what this COVID-19 thing is going to do. And I have a family and I want to be smart. And I'm like, of course I understand, but that meant zero work for me. So any freelancer knows you really are depending on those contracts to make a living for yourself. This is not a clock in clock out situation. It's based on contracts. So if those contracts get canceled, you're SOL. And I was definitely fear-based for a while. That was so scary just to be in that unknown. You know, I made this decision to say, okay, I'm leaving my job that I've been at for a few years. I'm doing this thing on my own. I was killing it for a while. Then COVID happened. And I'm like, okay, at least I'm not alone in this. This is not like I dropped the ball. This is a global crisis. So I definitely found comfort knowing that I wasn't the only person experiencing this. So if I did want to confide in anyone or if there could be some kind of like group thing where we could lean on each other and support each other, let's do it. And that very notion turned into me working with Art Noir and us bringing virtual visits to the forefront, which is a weekly Instagram live that we allow artists to take over Art Noir's Instagram and do a 30 minute studio visit. Yeah. So so that was birthed in the beginning of COVID with us knowing, you know, not only are people like me, um, Sierra Britton, you know, I'm struggling with my art advisory, but also the plethora of artists that we love and support. They're not, selling any works right now, or, you know, they're not able to, especially the emerging artists. So virtual visits was birthed as a way to support emerging artists in a time where no one could show anything in person. Um, And I also was blessed with the opportunity to curate a mural exhibition in Brooklyn last summer on Atlantic Avenue called Gates of Atlantic in partnership with the Culture LP. Um, We were able to contract 13 artists of color to paint mural paintings on the roll down gates of small businesses. So we were able to pay the artists through um, a small business um, grant that we got. And then also we are amplifying these local shops in the community that also got really hit hard as far as their revenue and sales during COVID. So we really, it was a group effort. We could not do it alone. All of us were going through 
really hard times during COVID, whether you were a small business, you were an artist, you're someone like me, whoever, a lot of our revenue dried up. And together, we really made a bounce back. We're like, okay, I'm good at this. I can help you with this so that we can amplify your business and get more people to come here and buy your stuff. And if you're putting out good and you're putting out intention, especially if you can help, you will always have what you need. And that that turned up for me. I got mm. some clients, you know, some clients fell through, but I got some new opportunities, um, different gigs that continued to build up over time. So I, I definitely made that bounce back just by doing what I needed to do to help the people around me. What a fabulous lesson in business to launch something in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that where everyone is experiencing the same level of exposure as everyone else. It's got to be a huge life lesson as you go forward. So what did you learn? What was your biggest lesson you learned in that whole space? Honestly, trust the process and have faith that you will be okay as long as you genuinely walk and talk that. You know, I for a while had these different ideas that I wasn't going to be able to make the cut or I wasn't going to be able to do things like this in such a scary time. But I took the steps that I needed to take where, whether that be outreach or planning or curating, I took the steps that I needed to take to get to the bigger picture of what this looks like. And I got there you have to do the work and you also have to believe. And I think that those two things really go together hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't say you believe and then not walk the walk. I think it's like a secret cheat code to life almost. Like I am finding ways to achieve everything that I want to do because I'm taking the steps that I need to take. And I'm also believing that it can happen for me. It's happening. It's, it's happening, happening right right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um. You're a storyteller and you are a, you know, a facilitator of storytellers. What is a movie or a work of art um, whose story spoke so deeply to you in your life at any point? Oh, that's great. That's such a good question. I would definitely say Kehinde Wiley changed a lot of my mind and thoughts about identity when I had been exposed to his work. In college, actually, at new school, I learned about Kehinde Wiley. Um, Kehinde Wiley, by the way, listeners, did Obama's official portrait. Uh, mm. Beautiful portrait artist, Nigerian, mm. uh, and lives in lives in New York, right? Or yes, lives in Harlem. And that painting of Barack Obama is at the National Portrait Gallery in D.C. Mm. If anybody ever want to see it in person, I do. Um, and, and so, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. What What is the story that that work told you? Yes. So Kehinde Wiley takes subject matter of everyday people, specifically, usually Black people, Black men that he would see in the neighborhood, walking down the street, like your regular everyday person going to the grocery store, the bodega, whoever, wearing regular clothes, doing regular things. And he places those subjects in the context of royal highness. Um, you will see some of his subjects on a stallion that has its front legs up and back legs on the ground. So a very important 
person to look up to. You even think about someone being on a horse, especially when the horse is standing up, you have to look up to that person. And when you are putting yourself as a viewer in the context of looking up to an everyday black man that's wearing a hoodie and jeans, that is important to think about when we are dissecting and thinking about identity of the people around us. For so long, our stories have been misrepresented and uh, it's turned into people being afraid of standing next to Black men on an elevator. You have someone like Kahende Wiley, who is a Black male artist, who is reclaiming his story and changing the narrative so that you are not scared. You are actually up looking. You're, you're, you're changing exalted. your posture. You're exalted. Yeah, you're right. exalted. You're changing your posture to highlight the individual in front of you, showing that they are important, they are worth looking at, they're worth beholding, someone that is of all good things. I love that. And I think that that's how I want to view myself. That's how I want people of color Hmm. to view themselves because for so long we've been taught to hate ourselves and, you know, to take ourselves out of the narrative and that we're not important enough to be the front sitter. We're only meant to be in the background or serving someone else. I think the the generation of Black artists that have reclaimed the narrative in that way has definitely inspired my entire life. Well, you, I just met you, and you are all good things. <laughs> you are all good things <laughs> oh in that God. package. Uh, so much status. Yeah. So much wisdom. It's so obviously happening right now. Yeah. You're doing this, and you're going to be just fine, Sierra. Um, and we're excited to watch it happen. You know, or as my my little thirteen year old skateboarder son says, "Send it, <laughs> to send it." All right. Let's do Thank this. you so much. Wow, that means so much. I'm glowing right now. I really appreciate you two so much. That means a lot. It's Sierra Britton, and the last thing we're going to do is why don't you shout out whatever it is you want to shout out? Website, fundraising, anything yeah. you want. It's all the mic is yours. Thank you. So I'm currently fundraising for the Sierra Britton Gallery, which again will be New York City's first art gallery dedicated to women of color artists. We're making history. <laughs> so we're raising $60,000 currently at 14.9,000 on ifundwomen.com slash Sierra Britton Gallery. I think there's some dashes in there. Sierra is C-I-E-R-R-A-B-R-I-T-T-O-N.com. Thank you so much. And once you go to the website, the fundraiser is linked if you'd like to just do it that way. You can learn more about me, um, some of the artists that I work with, some of the work that I've done. So feel free to reach that URL. Right on. Thank you so much for adding your important, young and important voice to our Swan Dive story. Thank you for having me. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Swan Dive. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Also, we are building a new season of Swan Dive. So if you or you know someone who has experienced a Swan Dive in their life, please hit us up and contact us through our website, www.swandive.us.